Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Simply by the number of verses, we have the shortest chapter in the book of Chronicles today with 1 Chronicles chapter 20. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, Joab led out the army and ravaged the country of the Ammonites and came and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. And Joab struck down Rabbah and overthrew it. And David took the crown of their king from his head. He found that it weighed a talent of gold, and in it was a precious stone, and it was placed on David's head. And he brought out the spoil of the city a very great amount, and he brought out the people who were in it, and set them to labor with saws and iron picks and axes. And thus David did to all the cities of the Ammonites. Then David and all the people returned to Jerusalem. And after this there arose war with the Philistines at Gezer. Then Sibachai the Hushathite struck down Sippai, who was one of the descendants of the giants, and the Philistines were subdued. And there was again war with the Philistines, and Elhanan the son of Jair struck down Lami, the brother of Goliath, the Gittite, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. And there was again war at Gath, where there was a man of great stature, who had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, twenty-four in number, and he was also descended from the giants. And when he taunted Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimei, David's brother, struck him down. These were descended from the giants in Gath, and they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. This is the word of the Lord. So we start in the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle. So it's not winter. Winter brings with it the harsh conditions that would really wear on soldiers and possibly lead to the death of some of your soldiers simply because of the sheer coldness, the, the difficulty of finding food sources, and so forth. So winter has thawed, but the wrath of men has not. As the temperatures rise, perhaps you could even say the temperatures of men are rising. Their, their hate for one another, their feud with one another. So it's a common time for kings to go out to battle. Nice weather, not necessarily the harvest time yet for harvesting food. It's a good time to fight, if you think fighting is a good thing. Anyway, this appears to be a follow-up on yesterday's chapter, chapter 19, that we'd had the, the conflict between Ammon and David and Israel, and that the Ammonite king had really struck up intentionally this feud against David so David sent some of his soldiers, led by Joab, out against Hanun, the king of Ammon. And after things went very quickly, very well in David's favor, basically Joab retreats. I mean, so he had yesterday the idea that, that Ammon brought down mercenaries from Syria, but quickly as God's people were given God's favor, in the battle, the Ammonites fled, the Syrians fled, and Joab and the army just went home instead of pressing. They didn't go into the city, they didn't attack. But now here in the following spring, they do. They press the attack, they go and they strike Ammon. So we could, we could probably make the assumption that further things brought more tension 
during the winter months between these two groups. Nothing of the sort is really given to us here, though, so that would be an assumption, and only that. I do want to point out, though, the time when kings go out to battle, the spring of the year, 2 Samuel chapter 11 starts the same way because it's the same context, and the chronicler skips over what happens in most of 2 Samuel chapter 11, which is David's affair with Bathsheba. So you might be familiar with that context, that story, as David sees he stayed home instead of going out to war. We'll cover that in a second. From his roof, he sees this beautiful woman bathing. And he desires for her. He lusts after her. He sends for her. They have sex together. She becomes pregnant. And he does everything he possibly can imagine in his mind to cover up his affair, his adultery, including killing her husband Uriah, who is one of his very own mighty men. So this could be an instance where you ask your children, why is it important? Why did the chronicler note for us that David remained at home, that he remained in Jerusalem? It's intriguing that he writes it because he doesn't cover, again, the the grievance. He doesn't cover the sin of David here. So the first note of it is kings go out to battle at this time. David should have been in battle. He should have led his people. So there's a bit of a fault mentioned by the chronicler, but again, he's going to sing higher praise here for David, and he's not going to cover, throughout the book, he's not going to cover a lot of the weaker things because his focus is on the restoration. His focus is on what God is doing for his people, how he's keeping that Second Samuel promise of, of one of David's descendants being on the throne, and how God is present with them in the temple. He's for them, and that they the focus will have on worship then that comes from that as well. So intriguing that it's even mentioned here, but at the same time leaving out the fullness of what happens because David remained at Jerusalem. So Joab goes to Rabbah, the Ammonite city, the only one mentioned by name in Scripture, and he destroys it. Now, that took some time. It's a a siege, after all, from verse 1. And in that context of 2 Samuel 11, this would also likely be where Uriah is killed, is in that siege. But again, skipped over. David then takes the king's crown, so this would be Hanun's crown, and it weighs a talent of gold. 75 pounds is the weight of a talent. That's a standard measurement for them. Imagine having a 75-pound crown on your head. That's a hefty crown, and it's made of gold. 16 ounces in a pound, this is 1,200 ounces of gold. And today's market, an ounce of gold goes for over 1,700 bucks. That's over $2 million for the value of the king's crown that we see here. And that's not I wouldn't say that's unheard of or obscene in terms of history and just the way kings viewed themselves. So David has conquered this place. This is his prize. And not only that, it does have a precious stone in it, nothing more said of what that stone may have been, um, but like a, well, probably the picture we have of kings and their crowns, right, that they have a jewel front and center on the crown. Oftentimes they have multiple jewels on them from our pictures, but... Then he also gets the spoil of the city, and we're not even told how much, just a very great amount. And then he brings out the people of Ammon from all their various cities, because he's conquered all of them by killing their king. And he puts them to forced labor. 
and they become his slaves using saws, iron picks, and axes, so they become workers harvesting wood and stone for the king to do what he seeks to do with them, which is probably part of his preparations for his son Solomon to build the temple. We saw that with some of the texts recently that the things that were the precious stones and materials and those were being saved for Solomon's building of the temple, and that seemed to be fitting with this as well. So at that point, David returns home. So David goes out. He remained at Jerusalem first, but after Joab defeats Rabbah, David goes. Gets to celebrate the win, and then he goes home. That's the first paragraph today. The second paragraph is going to focus on the giant Philistines. There's a little intrigue here, admittedly, as we just don't know much about the giants of old. And I say that as a historical truth. Like A lot of times, if you look up giants on the internet, they, they're just described as myths. And in fairness, probably most of that is. Uh, you know, 30-foot-tall people or jack and the giants on the beanstalk that are, you know, ginormous. The picture of men, though, that are, are real and simply of a greater size than we are today. I don't know what the average height of a man is. Let's call it six feet tall. So if you've got a race of men who are eight feet tall or nine feet tall, that's notable. And that's the picture, again, from from much of the Old Testament references. And there aren't many, but Goliath in 1 Samuel 17, the account of David and Goliath is described as being six cubits in a span, a cubit 18 inches. And a span is half of a cubit, so that's nine foot nine. Goliath's tall. And no Israelite wanted anything to do with him, to fight against him. So there are references to giants. The actual ESV text only uses the word giant in 2 Samuel 21 and 1 Chronicle chapter 20. So not even in the context of Goliath's battle against David in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Uh, the word giant very rarely showing up. But people groups that are thought of to have been giants or to have included the race of giants in the Old Testament would include the Nephilim mentioned in Genesis 6. And admittedly, the Nephilim is kind of a, a strange reference that's shrouded in mystery itself. Um, that whole Genesis 6 section with them is a little bit, a little bit beyond our understanding, perhaps. But then you get the Raphaim. And Anakim, Raphaim, R-E-P-H-A-I-M, Anakim, A-N-A-K-I-M. Those two groups are also spoken of as possibly being the giants. And really, Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 10 and 11 speaks of them that way, if you're looking for an Old Testament place to, to reference. It doesn't use the word giant, but just refers to them being of greater size than others. Og, the king of Bashan, is referred to as the last of the Raphaim, and his bed was described as being made of iron and nine cubits in length. I mean, that would be what? Again, 18 inches, so foot and a half, 13 and a half foot long bed? A five foot eight man wouldn't need a bed that long. Although, as a king, you might have a ridiculously large bed anyway, just as a status symbol. Who knows? But he's described again of the Raphaim who have that, that taller stature described in Deuteronomy 2, so could well be. So we don't know what becomes of these. 
clearly in, in this paragraph, there is some battle with them. There's destruction of some of them. But is this meant to tell us that they've all been defeated? It doesn't really seem that way. So where have the giants gone? Did they simply die out? Or through intermarriage with smaller people groups over time, did they simply level off, become smaller themselves? It's really hard to say. Well, let's look at this paragraph here um, in the text. We have this war that has arisen with the Philistines again, David constantly fighting with them, it seems, throughout his time as king. And this time at Gezer, that's 20 miles to the west, north, probably northwest-west of Jerusalem, would be the best way to say it. And Sibachai, one of David's other mighty men, I say other because we were just talking about Uriah the Hittite, one of the mighty men of David that he killed himself because of his affair, this is one of the other ones that's been mentioned in chapter 11. And Sibachai later will become, in chapter 27, one of the 12 division leaders that's a part of the monthly rotation of soldiers in David's army. He strikes down uh, one of the giants, Sipai, of the Philistines, uh, subduing them. So here's another period of peace with the Philistines. And then there's another war with them in verse 5. And this time another giant is defeated as Elhanan, the son of Jair, strikes down Lami, the brother of Goliath the Gittite. That's an interesting reference. You might have this conversation here at this point. Did you know that Goliath had a brother? Uh, you know, Ask your kids what they know of Goliath. Let them share that story of David and Goliath. And yeah, ask if they knew he had a brother. And here, he did. So this is the brother of Goliath, another, another such giant uh, among the Philistines. Notice the pattern. Like This seems to parallel what David and Goliath had, a, a champion's battle. So a mighty man of God fighting against the mighty man of the Philistines. And when the battle's won, there's... When the champion battle is won, there's no more fighting. That seems to be the case. Lami, the brother of Goliath, is described in a similar way to Goliath himself in terms of his weapon, that the shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam. Now, we don't really know a whole lot about that reference other than the fact that, that, that it would be the tool of the, the loom that the weaver would use. And so as a tool, it's going to be a, a larger thing for making clothing or even larger things, perhaps rugs and such. So 1 Samuel 17, 7 referred to Goliath's spear that way. And Benaiah, one of the mighty men of David in chapter 11 of this book, verse 23, strikes down an Egyptian who had a, st- a spear or staff that was like this weaver's beam as well. So a reference to a very large weapon is all about all that we can probably say. So Ulami is struck down by Elhanan, which is another of David's mighty men. It would look like the same as chapter 11, verse 26, Elhanan, the son of Dodo. It would appear that Dodo and Jair, same man, just again, two names for the same guy, which has been fairly common here in the book. Verse 6, there's another war with the Philistines, this time at Gath, at one of their, their chief cities. And another giant is going to be felled, struck down, uh, this time by Jonathan, who is the nephew of King David, his brother Shimei. Shimei is the third born of, of Jesse. He's going to be the one that destroys him. And the picture, very similar. He's taunting Israel, just as Goliath taunted Israel, and David was the one who finally, after 40 days, took up the challenge. This man is described as having had six 
fingers and six toes on every hand and foot for 24 in total. Uh, we would look at that today and probably think, well, that's a deformity. That's not good, but and it probably gave him legendary status in his culture. So, again, another giant killed, and the Philistines are struck down. They're subdued by Israel again. So these are the giants of Gath. They have fallen to King David by the hands of his servants, in addition to, again, having fallen to David himself in the case of Goliath. So Sippai, Lami, and the third one does not get named for us in the text. But again, giants, part of the Philistines, and God's people are given victory over them, not because of God's people being stronger than giants, but because the Lord is fighting for them. As we've seen in David's conquests over the last few chapters, it's been said a couple of times that Yahweh had given him favor. Yahweh was with him in battle, and so Yahweh is with these David's soldiers as well, protecting them and guiding them in the fight.